Welcome to A Star Witness. Hello everyone, this is Kayla bringing another episode and today's discussion is going to be about the Ark of the Covenant in the Sanctuary. Before we start, let's say a word of prayer so that the Lord will be with us during this podcast. So with that, let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for another day of life and health and Lord, thank you for giving us your words through the Bible and the spirit of prophecy and the testimonies. Lord, we want to be students of prophecy and we want to know your word. We want to know you. We want to understand and seek you. And we know that throughout all of eternity, we'll be learning. So help us to learn and glean from this study. Help us to study for ourselves so that we may be witnesses and examples for you. And thank you so much for giving us the truth so that we may know what you would have us show to the world. Lord, we're so privileged to be able to study. As we know in history, there have been times when the word has been hidden, like the Dark Ages. The Bible wasn't available for everybody as it is now. So thank you for giving us your word to study and help us to hide it in our hearts so that when the time comes and they want to take the Bible away from us, uh, we'll have it so that we know it in our hearts and can quote it and will be brought to our memory. So I ask that you help us to continue to learn and grow and be with us as we study another topic. Help us to draw closer to you and thank you for everybody out there who's listening and continue to be with me and lead and guide and bless this podcast uh, for your glory and your honor. In your precious Holy Son's name we pray. Amen. All right, so when I was younger and I was reading the Bible, I had the tendency to skip the part where it was talking about the building of the sanctuary in Leviticus. I didn't know the importance of it until I was a bit older, and then I fell in love with what it meant. It wasn't until I read The Cross and Its Shadow by Stephen Haskell that I was hit with the importance of the sanctuary message. Sure, I had heard about it before, and I even knew the truth of it before, but that book just really made me fall more in love with the sanctuary message. And I was able to learn and understand, and I was excited to read the book every single day. I would highly encourage you all to find a copy and read it for yourselves. It's a very good book. Now, I obviously can't go into all the message of the sanctuary in one podcast, but I'm going to focus on this one article of furniture that was in the sanctuary. So if you guys are interested, I could start a series on the sanctuary message and go from there. So if that is something you're interested in, uh, leave it in the comments below and let me know. God instructed Moses to build the whole sanctuary. He gave him the whole plan. And this is one of the furnitures in the most holy place, the only furniture in the most holy place. Um, there was the outer court, the holy place, and the most holy place. And the Ark of the Covenant was the one place in the most holy place. That furniture was shaped like a box and it was handcrafted. Everything in the sanctuary was handcrafted down to the curtains and the rods and the people gave Moses their earrings and jewelry and they gave the fabric. They gave so much that Moses finally had to tell them to stop giving. And there was uh, sewers and people who were crafted in shaping of the furniture and they all pitched in to help make the sanctuary. 
and it turned out beautifully. We can only imagine what it looks like. I know that there have some place that you can go and see a replica of what they thought the sanctuary was would look like. I don't remember the name of the company who does that, but uh, Google it and I'm sure it'll pop up if you're interested. This rectangular box had a pot of manna. It had the rod of Aaron after it budded and the Ten Commandments was placed inside of the Ark of the Covenant and then the covering was placed on top of it and the covering was called the Mercy Seat and it had two angels on the top and one of the wings was covering the angels' faces and the other was stretched upward to heaven. The reason why they had one of the wings covering the faces of the angels is because in heaven we're told that the angels cover their faces when in the presence of God or when they say even when they say his holy name so this box was then placed in the most holy place of the sanctuary and here is where God lived and you read about how the pillar of smoke by day would rest on the sanctuary when they were encamped and they weren't moving about and by night it was a pillar of fire and it rested right above where the most holy place was of the sanctuary and that's where he dwelled, and only the high priest had access to the most holy place, and even then, it was only for once a year on the Day of Atonement, after Passover took place. More on that later. So now, everything in the sanctuary was a replica of what was in heaven. In heaven, the mercy seat is where God sits and rules and hears the prayers of the saints. On either side of him, like I said before, there were two angels. One of the angels that used to stand by his side was Lucifer before his fall, because now he's called Satan, so he was no, he's no longer referred to as Lucifer. And one of the angels we know of now is Gabriel. Gabriel took Lucifer's place after there was a war in heaven. And the sanctuary was given to the Israelites to help them understand what was going to happen in the future as well. The Lord had Moses write it down for us for a reason. He wanted us to understand the sanctuary message. God wanted us to know. And for a time, that knowledge was sealed, like Daniel told us. It wasn't until after 1844 and the Great Disappointment that the Lord opened the sealed books and we were able to understand the sanctuary message because they all thought that when the sanctuary was cleansed, that meant the earthly sanctuary. But it was actually talking about Jesus transferring from the holy place into the most holy place where he's interceding on our behalf before the father so the mercy seat is for all of us jesus intercedes for us when we accept and ask for forgiveness for our sins then jesus blots out those sins like they never happen and instead of seeing our sinful lives all that can be seen is the spotless life of christ and as i said before the high priest would only go in and look at it once a year on the day of atonement and on that day a sacrifice was made and the blood of the lamb was poured onto the mercy seat while the other lamb was set free in the wilderness so they had two lambs on the day of atonement one was for the sacrifice and one was to be released into the wilderness and this symbolized the sacrifice that the lord was going to make and the scapegoat the lamb that was let go in the wilderness represented satan and before they let the scapegoat go into the wilderness, the high priest would place his hands on it. It was a symbol that all the sins of, that the Israelites had made and had confessed were transferred over to the scapegoat. Just like in the end times when Satan will finally pay for all the evil and wickedness that he has caused, he will have to pay for the sins that the righteous have confessed and been forgiven for. There are a few stories in the Bible about the Ark of the Covenant. There was that time when the Israelites took it out with them in battle to fight against the Philistines and the battle was lost. 
and that was what the prophet Eli, his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, took it out with them to battle. And then the Israelites um, lost the ark because the Philistines took it with them. And eventually the Philistines gave it back because of all of the things that was happening to their villages, to their idols, while the ark was in their possession. The things that God did to the Philistines. And the Lord did something really interesting to one of the idols to the Philistines when it was in the temple. And it's actually a pretty funny story. You should check it out. It's in 1 Samuel if you want to read the whole thing. And King Nebuchadnezzar came and took over Jerusalem. Jeremiah the prophet was able to hide the Ark of the Covenant in the mountains in a cave somewhere. After the temple was rebuilt, the Jews just pretended that it was there. And Jeremiah hid it for a reason. He knew that the ungodly Babylonians would not respect the Ark of the Covenant, and he didn't want it in the wrong hands. So the Jews back then knew what the sanctuary symbolized, but they also had their own agendas in mind as well. They were expecting someone who would lead them in battle against the Romans. But when Jesus finally came to earth and he didn't live up to their expectations, they refused to accept him as their Messiah because he didn't come down in grandeur like they expected. He was a humble carpenter the son of a carpenter. As soon as Jesus died on the cross, there was a rip in the veil. The veil that separated the holy place from the most holy place. And the lamb that they were going to use for the burnt offering for the Passover ran away. So here's what happened. Jesus was on the cross. The earthquake happened. The whole earth rumbled. The veil was torn separating the holy place from the most holy place. The lamb got away and there was no Passover lamb that was sacrificed the day that Jesus died on the cross. And darkness came across the whole earth for a while during the crucifixion of Jesus because he was the Passover lamb that was to be slain that day and prophecy was fulfilled. So this all happened that way for a reason. There was no more need for sacrificing of animals. The sacrificing of the animals was a symbol that Christ would someday come and be that sacrifice to forgive us of all our sins. That's why the high priest sprinkled the blood on the mercy seat. It symbolized Jesus' blood on the cross. Isaiah 53:12 says, Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. All this had to happen so that Jesus could intercede on our behalf. Unfortunately, most of the Jews didn't accept that. And they still to this day keep rituals that are no longer needed or necessary. And if we were to do those rituals today, it would mean that we don't accept what Christ has done for us on the cross. Romans 8.34 Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Christ is still interceding on our behalf, but not for long, because when he stops, it means that everyone has come before the judgment seat. It means that Christ has left the most holy place in heaven and is on his way to earth to take his faithful and obedient children home to heaven where there will be no more death, sadness, or sin of any kind ever again. And that's why it's important to live every single day as if it's our last. Angels in unfallen worlds are watching us with bated breath to see the choices and decisions we make, and we must choose the narrow way before it's too late. 
Hebrews 7.25 says, Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that cometh unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. And 1 John 2, 1-3, My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And hereby we do know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Also in your spare time, I encourage you to read Hebrews 9, the whole chapter. It's very powerful. It talks about the sanctuary and what Christ is doing for us on our behalf. And here's some quotes I want to read. Within the second veil was placed the Ark of the Testimony, and the beautiful and rich curtain was drawn before the sacred Ark. This curtain did not reach to the top of the building. The glory of God, which was above the mercy seat, could be seen from both apartments but in a much less degree from the first apartment. Directly before the ark, but separated by the curtain, was the golden altar of incense. The fire upon this altar was kindled by the Lord himself and was sacredly cherished by feeding it with holy incense, which filled the sanctuary with its fragrant cloud day and night. Its fragrance extended for miles around the tabernacle. When the priest offered the incense before the Lord, he looked to the mercy seat. Although he could not see it, he knew it was there, and as the incense arose like a cloud, the glory of the Lord descended upon the mercy seat and filled the most holy place, and was visible in the holy place. And the glory often so filled both apartments that the priest was unable to officiate, and was obliged to stand at the door of the tabernacle. The priest in the holy place directing his prayer by faith to the mercy seat, which he could not see, represents the people of God directing their prayers to Christ before the mercy seat in the heavenly sanctuary. They cannot behold their mediator with the natural eye, but with the eye of faith they can see Christ before the mercy seat and direct their prayers to him and with assurance claim the benefits of his mediation. 1 SP 273.3 Are you filled with sorrow today? Fasten your eyes on the Son of Righteousness. Do not try to adjust all the difficulties, but turn your face to the light, to the throne of God. What will you see there? The rainbow of the covenant, the living promise of God. Beneath it is the mercy seat, and whosoever avails himself of the provisions of mercy that have been made and approbates the merits of the life and death of Christ has in the rainbow of the covenant a blessed assurance of acceptance with the Father as long as the throne of God endures. Faith is what you need. Do not let faith waver. Fight the good fight of faith and lay hold on eternal life. It will be a severe fight, but fight it at any cost, for the promises of God are yea and amen in Christ Jesus. Put your hand in the hand of Christ. There are difficulties to be overcome, but angels that excel in strength will cooperate with the people of God. Faith Zion, press your way to the city of solemnities. A glorious crown, a robe woven in the loom of heaven, awaits the overcomer. Though Satan would cast his hellish shadow athwart your pathway and seek to hide the mystic ladder from your view that stretches from the earth to the throne of God, on which ascend and descend the angels who are ministering spirits to those who shall be heirs of salvation. Yet press your way upward, plant your feet on one round after another, and advance to the throne of the infinite. St. May 2, 1895, paragraph 7. 
What with all that is happening in the world around us, we do not have long. Now is the time to come to Jesus, and now is the time to spread the urgent message of Jesus' soon coming. The sanctuary message is an important message to tell to others so that they can understand fully all the things that Christ has done for them so that we all could be saved. And we are the only faith that has been given the light of the sanctuary message. It is our duty to not only understand, but to share that message with everyone we know. Now, this is taken from The Cross and Its Shadow by Stephen Haskell, and it's talking about the Ark of the Covenant. So I wanted to read this portion from the book that I was telling you about before. The Ark was the central figure of the entire sanctuary. The broken law contained in the Ark was the only reason for all the sacrificial services, both typical and anti-typical. When the Lord gave directions for making the sanctuary, his first instruction was, They shall make an Ark of Shittim or asatia wood. Two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof, and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof, and a cubit and a half the height thereof. It was overlaid within and without with pure gold, with a crown of gold around the top. The cover of the ark was called the mercy seat and was of pure gold. On either end of the mercy seat were cherubim of beaten gold, with their wings stretched forth covering the ark, and their faces looking reverently toward the law of God contained therein. There is a great consolation in the fact that the Lord himself covered the broken law with a mercy seat, and then he, the merciful God, took his position upon that seat, so that every sinner who comes confessing his sins may receive mercy and pardon. That mercy seat with the cloud of glory the visible representation of God's presence and its covering cherub is a figure or shadow of the throne of the great God who proclaims his name as merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. Within the ark was the Lord's own copy of the holy law given to mankind in the beginning. Where no law is, there is no transgression. Sin is not imputed when there is no law. Therefore, the Lord could never have driven our first parents from the Garden of Eden on account of their sin, if they had been ignorant of his holy law. How God proclaimed his law to our first parents, he never revealed in his holy book. But when it was necessary again to make his law known to his people, after their long servitude in Egypt, he had the account of that awe-inspiring event recorded so that the generations to come might know that God came from heaven and spoke the Ten Commandments with an audible voice in the hearing of all Israel. After God had declared the Ten Commandments from the top of Mount Sinai, he wrote them upon two tables of stone and gave them to Moses with the instructions, Thou shalt put them in the ark. The ark was placed in the most holy apartment of the sanctuary, where no mortal eye except that of the high priest could gaze upon it. And he, on only one day in the year, when he went in to sprinkle the blood of the Lord's goat before and upon the mercy seat to atone for the broken law within the ark. The wages of sin is death, and the broken law demands the death of every sinner. In the typical service, the blood was sprinkled above the law to show faith in the blood of Christ, which would free the righteous from the demands or curse of the law. God communed with his people from the cloud of glory, which rested above the mercy seat between the cherubim. These golden cherubim with outstretched wings were a representation of the covering cherub that surrounded the throne of God in heaven. There can be no government without law. The very suggestion of a kingdom is always connected with the law. There could be no judgment without a law as a standard of judgment. God declares that as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. All God's commandments are righteousness. 
The establishment or foundation of his throne is righteousness and judgment. There was nothing in the ark save the two tables of stone, is the divine record. The pot of manna was laid up before the Lord, and Aaron's rod that budded was laid up before the testimony. Paul enumerated all the contents of the most holy place in the order that he has, leads some to suppose that at some time the pot of manna and Aaron's rod were placed in the ark, but the ark was made for the one purpose of containing God's holy law. No profane hands were allowed to touch the ark. Isaiah was smitten for reaching forth his hand to steady it when the oxen which were drawing it stumbled, and thousands of the men of Bethshemesh were smitten for looking into it, none but the Levites allowed to carry the sacred chest. On the occasion of a battle with the Philistines, the wicked sons of Eli, the high priest, carried the ark onto the battlefield, and it was captured by the Philistines. But God impressed their hearts to return it to Israel with a golden trespass offering. When Solomon's temple was built, the ark was placed in the Holy of Holies, where it remained until taken by the prophet Jeremiah and hid in the cave in the mountains before the Babylonian captivity, lest it should fall into the hands of the Gentiles. The writer of the Apocrypha states that the ark will again be brought forth in the last times. Whether that copy of the law which God gave at Sinai will be brought out again or not, there will be a copy of that same law traced as with the pen of fire in the heavens before the wandering gaze of the inhabitants of the earth in connection with the second coming of Christ to the earth. That holy law is the standard by which all will be judged. That law will condemn the guilty for sin is the transgression of the law. The same law that condemns the sinner will witness to the righteousness of those who, through faith in Christ, have tried to walk in harmony with its holy precepts, humbly seeking forgiveness for every transgression. And this was taken from pages 45 through 49.1. Also read the Great Controversy, chapter 23 and 24, called What is the Sanctuary and the Holies of Holies, because it talks about the sanctuary and the intercession of Jesus in the sanctuary. And it is amazing what she has to say and very powerful. It talks in depth about all that we just discussed. So um, go read those chapters for yourself and also read the Bible. Read in Leviticus the sanctuary and read about all of the plans. It, it went into great detail, everything that they had to do, how it was supposed to be designed and down to the very most detailed instructions of what should be the pattern of the candlestick, of what should be the pattern and the looks of everything in the sanctuary. And it really does sound beautiful. When you hear it described for the first time, and you, I mean, I know it's a lot of dimensions and the height and stuff like that, but it was made a certain way to be a replica or um, an type of what the anti-type was of what the temple was in heaven and again there's a lot to study about as far as the sanctuary is concerned and this is just one of the articles and the most important article in the sanctuary but all of the articles in the sanctuary are representative of what christ does for us and what he was going to do for us here on this earth it was a symbol and also the symbol of what he's going to do in heaven so there was two types, what he was going to do on earth, and then the next job, which was what he's going to do in heaven. So the outer court explains what he had to go through during his life and ministry on the earth, and then the inner sanctuary, the holy place and the most holy place, 
explains what he did for us during heaven and what he is still doing now before probation closes. It's really fascinating when you read and study and learn about it and how it all fits in with all of the prophecies that we were told about and how it connects to our day and age. I mean, the Lord is amazing. He gave all of that to us back during Moses' day. And Moses wrote it all down. And some of the other writers, too, they wrote about it in a different way. Paul definitely wrote about it in Hebrews. And Isaiah touched about what Christ was going to do here on this earth. And so did some of the other prophets, too. They touched on what Christ was going to do and the sacrifice that he was going to make. And then in the New Testament, you have writers like Paul who explain it after Christ died to the people who didn't really understand why he had to die and the sacrifices he had to make and what it all meant. So he was able to explain the sanctuary message, only the truth was hidden from us for a long time. Daniel wrote about it. The prophecy he wrote about the 2300 days is in connection to the sanctuary message. And then John the Revelator also wrote about it. And he said that the book would be unsealed and explained. And when it talked about the sanctuary being cleansed, at first, when the pioneers told the people that the sanctuary was going to be cleansed, they thought it was the earthly sanctuary. They thought the earth was going to be purified and Christ was going to come back and take his people home with him. But it turned out they were misunderstanding because the book was still sealed. And then after 1844 happened in the Great Disappointment, the book was unsealed. And through much prayer and studying, Hiram Edson had the vision in the field on his way back home. And he saw Christ's work in the sanctuary. And then Ellen White had the vision as well about the sanctuary. And they were able to study in the Bible and read verses that showed what it meant when it said when the sanctuary was going to be cleansed. And they understood that it didn't mean that Jesus was going to come back. It just meant that his work in the holy place was done and he was going into the most holy place to intercede on our behalf and that the judgment had begun for all of humanity. The judgment of the dead had started. Their lives were brought before the Lord and their lives were examined to see whether or not they lived up to the light that they knew. And now we're in the judgment of the living. Right now, the books are being opened. And our life and our record is going before the King of Kings. That is why it is so important to get our lives ready for heaven. Because we don't know when it's going to be our turn to go before and stand and have our life be read in the presence of God. So this message is very important to tell people because time is short and probation will close and that means when Michael stands up when Jesus leaves out of the most holy place and is no longer standing as our intercessor it's going to be too late to confess our sins it's going to be too late to ask for forgiveness it's going to be too late to blot out our record and have the life of Jesus in its place where once was sin now his pure life is taking over and shining through us instead because we have him in our hearts and we can go into this in another podcast deeper it is very deep message it goes way deeper than just what I said in this podcast so if you're interested in this becoming a series let me know I am going to pray about it and see if the Lord wants me to continue with a series on the sanctuary message I will be talking about 
this sort of thing again, the 2300 days and other things. But as far as the other things in this sanctuary, I'm not sure if I'm going to go into that yet or not. I'm going to pray about it and see what the Lord has me do. See if he wants me to go into what each thing symbolizes and means. It is very interesting, so I may do it and I'd love to hear if you'd like to hear it as well. I think the perfect hymn for this is Softly and Tenderly. There are many hymns that probably could fit into this subject, but this is the one that really stood out to me, and I felt that the Lord was telling me to sing this one. And you can follow along in your hymns if you want to, and sing along at home. It's a beautiful song. Hymns are amazing. They're like little sermons themselves in what they say. If you read the words and pay attention, it's a powerful message that's in there. So here it goes. Softly and tenderly Jesus is calling, calling for you and for me. See on the portals he's waiting and watching, watching for you and for me. Come home, come home, you are weary, come home, earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling, oh sinner, come home. Why should we tarry when Jesus is pleading, pleading for you and for me? Why should we linger and heed not his mercies, mercies for you and for me? Come home, come home, ye who are weary, come home. Earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling, oh sinner, come home. Time is now fleeting, the moments are passing, passing from you and from me. Shadows are gathering, deathbeds are coming, coming for you and for me. Come home, come home, ye who are weary, come home. Earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling all sinner, come home. Oh, for the wonderful love he has promised, promised for you and for me. Though we have sinned, he has mercy and pardon, pardon for you and for me. Come home, come home, ye who are weary, come home. Earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling, oh sinner, come home. I want to come home, don't you? And we can, through 
the plan of salvation and that is the most beautiful thing and I'm not perfect by no means and I know I have a long way to go and I can only pray day by day that I continue to grow more like Christ and I hope and pray the same for all of you and please do the same for me Satan doesn't want any of us in heaven because he doesn't want to pay the price for our sins and also because he is pure evil and I want Jesus to be seen in me don't you Please read and study these things out for yourselves, like I said before. And remember it says in Matthew five sixteen, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And with that all being said, let your light so shine that you are a star witness for the Lord.